You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, this is Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. And if you want to get your money's worth, stay right here because you're listening to Knockouts and Three Counts. And remember, everybody's got a price the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> This is Don West here, and I'm telling you, knockouts and three counts is the podcast, baby. Make sure that's the one you check out, because, buddy, like me, they're the real deal, baby. This is Jake the Snake Roberts. Just let me know. You need to listen to knockouts and three counts, or you'll see that damn snake again. This is the Ring of Honor World Television Champion, a.k.a. Shane T, boy, the baddest champion you've ever seen, boy, and you're listening to Knockouts in Three Counts. What up, there, everybody? This is Kyle, and you are watching Knockouts in Three Counts, and as we told you on the last episode with our guest tonight, we needed to do a part two because we didn't, there was so many things that got left unasked and all those kind of good things. So back for part two, we have Aaron Orion. How you doing, brother man? Good, guys. Thanks for having me back. Hey, man, we're glad to have you. Corey, you were saying the same thing after the show. You called me right afterwards, and we're like, we needed to finish that up because you had a lot of things that you had wanted to ask and things. So uh, what are your thoughts on the return of Mr. O'Ryan? You know, glad to have you back, of course. And, yeah, I felt like we were just kind of really starting to get to the the meat and potatoes of the interview, and then uh, things kind of got cut short due to, you know, right. time restraint. Well, now we've got – a whole nother show to do here. And like, like he said, there were a lot of things that we didn't get into. You know, when I went back and watched uh, the last show, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, your time in the military. We talked about military MMA and, you know, kind of like the Michigan indie scene and the beginning of the death threat army, but we didn't even really get to talk much about um, your career as a whole. So for starters, one of the biggest things that I wanted to know is what was it that got you into wrestling? And where did this whole thing start for you? Oh, I'm yelling at these dogs. Dogs, go upstairs. Go upstairs, dogs. <laughs> I got three at the house. I feel you. Yeah, good luck. Um, My cats are unprofessional start. Dogs, go upstairs. <laughs> um, so, like, the first thing was, like, um, my grandma would watch it way when I was super young. And I thought it was stupid. Like, it was like, I remember this vividly. It was like Macho Man versus Jake the Snake. And I remember laying on our floor that we've just went up to Frankenbooth and got a bunch of cheese. Okay. So <clears throat> we got a bunch of like cheese from Frankenbooth. And like, we, we just come back. I lay down on the floor. We're watching, like I said, whatever it was, raw. It wasn't raw. It was something like, like a pay per view or something like that. And I'm laying on this, like the, I'm laying on the carpet. I'm just pounding this cheese. And then next thing you know, I see, um jake the snake like throw the snake in the ring like oh holy shit what's going what's going on here and then i'm just like man this is so stupid like this guy has a snake uh, and then like five minutes later i throw up because i ate like a whole bag of cheese and then that was like like that was like, my first like memory of like oh that this is wrestling and it was almost like it was like i didn't like it because it wasn't the style of wrestling that i prefer and then uh 
cut to like way later in life, like probably, I mean, not way later, but like, I don't know, like four or five years later, um, four, four or five years later, I stumble upon a cruiserweight match in WCW. And that's what got me hooked as a fan of wrestling was just like watching all Who the was crazy it? stuff. Go ahead. Who was it? Was it Ray and Eddie? No, no, no. Ray and Eddie came like, uh, like after I was already watching, it was a scramble. So it was like, there was like six random guys Like Hoovitude was in it. Cause he was my favorite dude. Um, and then it was like Hoovy psychosis and then dudes who like never showed up again at some they could have just been random guys like jobbers wearing masks at that point but it was just like it was dive after dive it was like guys jumping off the top rope all at the same time at each other it was it was ridiculous but it was like that as like a like a 12 year old that's what hooked me and then as a, as a fan i like wcw and i didn't really care about anything else and even like i knew wwf existed but all i remembered was that it was like it was jake the snake throwing a snake at people and i was just like i do whatever but then this is where everything kind of changed is that then i'm flipping through the channels again during nitro when it's on a commercial and then i see the i see the the dumpster match that is cactus jack versus and chainsaw charlie versus the new age outlaws and then i remember that i was hooked like i was like i want to be that like because like i was never billy gunn billy gunn's like one of my favorite wrestlers ever and I was never like Billy Gunn. I was definitely more like Road Dog, but I couldn't talk like Road Dog could talk, but I looked more like Road Dog. Like, and I was like, dude, this guy's out here looking like a regular dude, and he's out here shining brighter than anyone shining on the mic, other than a very small handful of people. He's charismatic beyond all belief. And then you have Billy Gunn, who's just like one of the best, like, for to call him one of the best I, is hard. He's just really fucking good. He's Sorry, great. I don't mean to cuss on the thing, but what? like, you're good. <laughs> um but he's just really good and he was like and he was so charismatic and i was like man i want to i wish i could be like these guys like let me explain for Corey real quick because Corey, i know you're not the biggest wrestling guy so just to kind of give you an outline of the match that he's talking about i know you know who mankind and mcfoley is oh, so yeah. look dude it was him and terry funk against the new age outlaws like he said the tag team match they threw Mick Foley and uh, Terry Funk in a dumpster and threw that bitch off the stage. With and Jesus. it was, dude, it was nuts. Like, I, it was like the ultra realism. Dogs go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's real life. That's realism for you. I forgot to shut the gate. Uh, um, and I thought that they would come down here and just lay down. But there's uh, the guys were down here recording earlier for the Patreon and they ordered food and stuff. So there's food sitting out. So they're freaking out down here. And uh, I get that one. <laughs> uh, but, you yeah, know, like, it was like the like because like WCW was more like character driven. And it was like it was almost like watching a cartoon. And for everything that I was watching, like it was the luchadors and they all had colorful masks and, and they were jumping all over the place like a bunch of like superheroes. And then I didn't care about anything else in WCW. And then, like, then they flip to this, and it's like, these dudes are bleeding all over the place. They're beating the shit out of each other. And then you see, like, Road Dog, he's cutting these promos. And then and then uh, Billy Gunn's over there, and he's a super jack, and he's telling everybody to suck it. And you're just like, man, these dudes, like, that, the New Age Outlaws is what hooked me. Like, hooked me for life. Like, I remember, like, uh, last year I got to wrestle Billy Gunn, which was, like, a dream come true. But, like, I hand, like we did the uh, Legends of Wrestling show that was down in uh, Monroe a couple yep. of years ago, 
<laughs> and uh, I'm out in the hallway, like working out, and Billy comes, uh, Billy Gunn comes out there, and this is embarrassing, but like, like he's out there and he has like his bands and stuff, and he's working out, and I just go up to him like, "Hey, Billy, I just, I just want to tell you that you're one of my favorite wrestlers, and uh, you're one of the reasons I started wrestling." And then I fucking scurry off before he could say. <laughs> Oh, uh, dude, it was like, and I was like, I, I, it was like, I, I've met a lot of cool wrestlers. Like, I, I've been in the ring with a lot of really, really big names. I've been, well, I've done a lot of cool stuff. But meeting Billy Gunn for the first time, that was the first time. I just like, I was like beside myself. Well, let's talk about that a little bit though. Before we get into like, you know, you actually training, you know, and you're starting and getting in training and things. You know, you mentioned getting to do a lot of cool things. I was talking to Corey, you know, um, about some of that. You know, before we went on the air, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you've gotten to work a couple dark matches for WWE, right? Uh, I've never done a dark match for WWE. I've only done a match. It was a battle royal where it came down to me and Baron Corbin. Yeah, that that was it. I just couldn't remember what it was. I knew I had seen the picture from it. So tell and, us a little uh, bit about that. Well, so essentially, like, uh, um, Jake something. We were at a wrestling show. Jake something called me and he was like hey he basically was like hey pack your shit we're going to raw on monday and i was like oh oh oh, what what like okay and then i'd never been to uh like a wwe show at all and other than like as a fan when i was younger um my brother took me to a raw that was like in battle creek for um for like my birthday one year um when I was, and uh but other than that like i'd never been to a wwe show and i've especially never been backstage so i was super nervous and then uh so essentially what happened was like they had asked Dory Ruby Riot, like, hey, we need like we need like 10 guys. And they, they had only hired like a handful of extras. And nine times out of 10, you're going to be disappointed with half the extras, excuse me, that show up. So they were like asking around and they had asked uh, they'd asked Ruby, like, hey, like, do you know any people? And she's like, oh, I know the perfect people. So then she she calls Jake and then Jake gets a hold of me, uh, Idris Abraham, and then. Uh, Palmer Cruz and we all drive to Chicago and then we were like we're then going to do this battle royal but we're not all, there's it's a we need eight people for this 10-man battle royal because um later it you know it's uh obviously uh Baron Corbin is the guy who's doing the issue so he's one of the 10 right. and then Kurt Angle is dressed up as the uh conquistador so yeah. he's one so they have like 12 like 12 ish people, 12 to 15 people here for this thing, but they only need eight. So then it's like, it, they went through like a vetting process of like making sure that they're picking like the best guys for like this situation. And, and also they didn't like, if you watch the match, um, they, they didn't want to use Jake cause Jake was too big. And they're like, well, like, cause Jake looks like he just kill somebody. And they're like, well, that's, Jake's that's probably not the, the best guy. And then, <laughs> Um, and then they didn't use Palmer Cruz, which they, 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 for what you see in the match, there's a lot of awful, awful strikes from guys who have no business. I think they're nervous. They didn't want to like hit Baron Corbin too hard or something. Like, so a lot of these things that happen in this match are like embarrassing to watch. Where like, if you would have had Palmer Cruz in there, um, and then Idris Abraham was in the match with me, um, it would have been a lot, a lot, a lot better, but for what it was, it's basically just Baron Corbin throwing all these dudes out of the ring. And then it comes down to him and I at the very last. And we have this really, and they're like, so this is the best part. 
um, as you guys know, I was just talking, I was just talking extensively about the new age outlaw. So like the best part of this whole entire thing is that road dog is our agent for the match. And he doesn't know that I give a fuck about him in any way. Um, and he never finds out cause I can never say that like out loud to him and at a WWE show, but like, uh, he basically like Baron Corbin picks me to be the last guy. Like he was just like, you're going to be the last guy with me before angle does their stuff. And I was like, Oh dude, awesome. And then road dog explains to me like, Hey, this is where you have to be. This is what you have to do. And if you don't, you're going to lose your moment. And you're going to fuck this up. And I was like, you like, and he said like, you'll never forget. Like you'll, no one will ever be able to take this moment away if you do it right. And I was like, Oh, like, so I got to make sure that I, I do this. And, and do it to a point where like I get caught on camera properly. I take my time. And it's everything that everyone always teaches you about TV work. And uh, so then eventually everyone gets eliminated. It comes down to him and I. And then um, that's what they, like, that my name was Thunder Montgomery. That was my name on WWE. And, <laughs> um, and I did the claw, which was like my finisher or whatever. And they hyped it up in a promo beforehand. And... Uh, Everyone gets eliminated. Baron Corbin turns around and I'm standing in the opposite side corner of, of him. And then I put the claw in the air, dude, and the crowd, like, for what it is, the crowd goes nuts. Like, you know, they're like, what What the hell is going on right now? I hit him with, like, the claw thing. The crowd's like, oh, shit. And then he he breaks it, punches me, throws me out of the ring, and that's, that's the end of it. He thinks he won. Kurt Angle comes in. And then, uh, um, and then they do a little spot. That's it. So it was just, it was one of those things that like, it was like to me, not to anyone else, but like, to me, it was like a movie. Like it, it, even if it just followed the same parameters, I was just explaining, like, like I love the new age outlaws. So what got me into wrestling? And then on my journey to this day, I get to be in the same locker room as Billy Gunn. And then I get to WWE and I get to have road dog agent, the match I'm in. And he's telling me like, Hey, if you do this right, no one will be able to take this away from you. You made it to WWE. You got to do all this stuff. You got to be on national TV in front of, you know, uh, 11,000 people or whatever, how many people are there. And then millions of people are going to see it live. And then millions extra are going to see it online later. And, um, and then, like I said, then like we, the moment goes like exactly how they planned it and exactly how they told me to do it. And everything was like perfect about it. Um, and then, we walked to the back and that's, I mean, basically that's it. And then you just kind of go back into the locker room and you go, we went back to catering and then just like hung out and watched the rest of the show. And then, um, and then that was kind of it. And it was just like, uh, I said, it was, it was the best case scenario for a situation like that of never being there and then getting, you know, getting, getting the opportunity to be there in general. And then also getting the opportunity to wrestle on raw and then getting the spot that I was granted, like everything went perfect for it. Yeah, you couldn't ask for a better situation than that. And with the parameters given, like you said, you know, short notice and to end up basically, you know, second in line that that you can't ask for anything better. You know, it was for all the guys that I've known who, who get to, who like get the opportunity to do, to do a, a dark match or a, a tape match or whatever. Like it was, you know, I know guys who've been to WWE 11, 12, 13 times and, and have had one match a dark match, you know, like, and then, so to build, like I went one time and one out of one times I've got to wrestle on TV and I had an awesome slot and a, a memorable thing. And like, um, so I say, yeah, there's another, there's, I couldn't complain about it even if I wanted to. So 
let's take that back a little bit. So we talked about, you know, what got you into wrestling. When does that bug become something that you want to pursue? Oh, New Age Outlaws. I got you. So, I know why, but I mean, like, when you actually pursued wrestling, how does that come about? So, like I said, I was watching probably, I mean, maybe for just a year-ish, I was watching the Cruiserweights. Um, not even for a year, because that wouldn't even make sense on a timeline, because the matches happened very simultaneously um, of, like, the luchadors coming into WCW. But then we start wrestling in our backyard. And eventually, like, that becomes, like, a thing that, like, people in school start finding out. They're like, um, because we're doing it every weekend. We're, we're, and we're not backyard wrestlers in the sense of, like, we're hitting each other with, like, chairs and light tubes and all this kind of stuff. Like, me and my friends are legitimately trying to put on, like, real shows in our backyard. And we're watching, like, Tough Enough to try to learn how to bump. We're doing all this stuff. And then uh, eventually word gets around school where then, a, like, a random friend of my brother's is like hey your brother's a wrestler right and he's like yeah no he you know he wants to be and then she's like okay cool uh there's wrestling that goes on like 25 minutes from my house and then um so then jeff brooks comes one day picks me and my friends up uh so it's me christopher saint uh adam sniper and donnie crow so um donnie crow doesn't wrestle anymore adam sniper doesn't wrestle a lot anymore because he has uh vertigo all of a sudden because he's an old man um <laughs> But he spent a lot of time with us when we first started, and he also wrestles for like Chainsaw, uh, still same as Christopher Saint wrestles for Chainsaw. And uh, um, we pile into his car and we go to the show, the MWO Michigan Wrestling Organization. So that's where we start wrestling at, and we start training with Levi Blue. And we do that from I was fifteen when I started, and then fifteen, sixteen. And then the summer of 17, or actually the fall of uh, when I'm 17, we go to Xavier Justice, like first ever PPW school, where then we start training. And then from there, we like, we, while we're training, we're, we're wrestling, like, we're like, this is before like the PPW had a training center or had like, uh, and that, oh yeah, like an actual training facility. This is just in Xavier's barn and it's us four and then Cody Manning. And uh, who wrestles for PBW? And we do like six, like, uh, I don't know, like four months of training or whatever in the barn in the middle of winter, essentially. And we start wrestling while we're doing this. We start wrestling for like CIW. Um, we uh, were doing security for XI at the time for Mike McMahon when he was like Vince McMahon's long lost son. If you were around for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was and, like, going, uh, I was going, but at the time I was like, shit, I might have been. Corey, to give you a timeline, now, Corey and I have known each other since we was probably 11 years old. So the timeline he's talking about, Corey, is probably around the time we were, I would say, freshmen or sophomores. Okay. So I'd have been like 14, 15, something like that. Okay. Um. So then, like, we're doing all that. And then um, at this time, and still kind of to this day, if we're being honest about it, but, like, Xavier Justice has, like, a bad name. Um in the indies uh just like, a lot of things that could contribute to it but it's a lot of just like trying to be rick flair like like when you're young in wrestling and you get popular like you try to be what you see in wrestling so everyone wants to be rick flair rick flair's the one he's partying he has all the girls you know and he's just such a good wrestler but no one's rick flair so then what it ends is that you're just an asshole who's partying all the time and doesn't like take wrestling serious Regardless if you're taking it serious or not, that's like the appeal that you give out to, or the, the unappeal that is like going out into the world. And so like maybe like a year and a half after we start training, 
Um, I stopped working for Xavier for the better part of the next 10 years, essentially. Um, and then while I'm in the army, we eventually squash the, the issues we had, which, you know, was whatever. And then, um, when I come back, then I become like a coach at his, uh, when, at his, uh, training facility. And, um, so from there, we kind of get shit on the great away, the, the four of us, because, um, everyone hates Xavier justice and especially in Detroit. So then like, so guilt by association. Yes. And, uh, so we basically can't go to Detroit at all. Because we get shit on, like, like I, there was a time where I remember, uh, it was like Nate Matson, and I love these guys now. But like when I first started, I also was like, I didn't look like a wrestler, you know. I, I'm the, I'm not the same guy I was, uh, but like Nate Matson, True, Jamie Cox, like all these people come up to us after we're like, you know, we come and set up the ring, we're doing security or whatever, and and they come up and start like. Eddie Venom's one of them too. And they're like, you guys don't belong in a wrestling ring. And they're yelling at Adam Sniper, who's like a really small guy, like a cruiserweight guy. Like you guys don't, uh, and uh, you guys don't belong in a wrestling ring. You guys, this, you guys, that. And I was like, man, I hate this. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, so we just like for years, for 10 plus years, we like never go back to Detroit and wrestle ever. And, uh, and that's kind of like where we got like exposed to like the drama of the, like the wrestling world where like, uh, that's where like a handful of guys have stopped wrestling. Like the guys that we train with and stuff, some of them just stopped completely um, because they're like, dude, like they're like, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, that's not fun. And like the one thing I always try to keep for myself was just like, dude, no matter what, make sure wrestling stays fun. Like, like don't get into the, the BS. Don't get into the drama. Don't get into anything like that. Just go there, have fun. Like, you know, do your, the thing that you love. And like, don't forget what got you here. Don't forget that it's, there's nothing different about wrestling in your backyard. Uh, when you're 13 years old and wrestling in a, a bar somewhere or a community center somewhere when you're 18, like it should feel the same. It should, you should feel the love of it. And a lot of the guys lost the love of it because it became like this weird nonsense of like, there's like the weird clicks and there's like the guys trying to hold everyone down. And um, so that like goes like off the rails for like a while. And, uh, and then 2012, 2013, we kind of like break the mold. And now people are looking at us as individuals instead of like Xavier Justice students. And then everything's going good. And that's where I leave for the army. Um, so that's kind of like the first couple of years of like the, the Aaron Orion timeline. So when you get when you get out of the military, though, I mean, like. Is it? Did you already know when you got out though that you wanted to get back in, or is it something where you went and tried to go do your thing for a little bit and it kind of just came back around? Or how do you get to where we're at now, where we see you with the death threat army and all those things? You know, how does that? You know, when you come out of the military, how does that come to be? Well, like so, like I was, we talked about this briefly on the last show. Was like um, in the military, we were wrestling, but we can only wrestle like very, very limited amounts of times because like we are what's called like a rapid deploy unit. So they could call you for training. I mean, they could call you for anything, but like they were known to call you on the weekends for training. They were known to call, like there's like, we are uh, preparing to go to Africa and we would get calls at like three o'clock in the morning, pack our bags. We're going. And as far as we knew, we were going, but it was all like a drill. And so like, we'd like, like, hey, guys, get ready. We're leaving and be here in 90 minutes with your bags packed, have everything here. 
blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, okay, well, here we go. We're leaving. Like, this is finally happening. And we get there, we load everything up in like a big Connex box. And then like five minutes after everything's loaded and we're all exciting information, like, oh, this is really about to happen. Like, all right, guys, be back at nine o'clock, you know, or be back at 630 for PT or whatever. We're like, dude, what the, we're not doing, it was just like a drill, like a preparation drill. Um, Cause you have to meet certain standards if you want to qualify as a rapid deployment um, unit. So then, uh, Jamie and I had tried to take bookings. So like I meet Jamie, we talked about that last time. I meet Jamie and we, we become friends. We become a tag team. We become death threat. Um, but while like death was almost taking off, he gets deployed to Poland. And so then I'm back out on my own and, and my unit is so finicky about like, Hey guys, we're, we're this weekend. You're going to be doing this this weekend. You're going to be doing that. And then I break my foot. And then, um, and it's so, like everything kind of falls apart. Uh, but even before that, even before like I broke my foot and stuff like that, um, it was all, it was maybe wrestling once a month, maybe twice a month if we were lucky. Um, so like it, it never really took off the way we wanted to in Georgia, just because of the things that we were doing. And obviously like they always say like in the army, they say family first army always, but it's actually army always. And your family's there too, but they just have to deal with everything you're doing. And, uh, and that was kind of like what we were the victim was, is like, it doesn't, you know, like, it doesn't really matter what's going on, what your life is out, like, you know, from six o'clock to six thirty in the morning. It's, uh, it's, so it was really hard to take bookings. And also like, I hate the idea of having to cancel a booking. Like, so then it was just like, okay, well we can wrestle for this place and this place. And then maybe if we can, we'll, we'll jump on a different show. And, uh, and I said, and then Jamie goes to Poland for like six and a half months and then comes back and go like four months or four weeks later, goes like right back to Poland again. Um, so then like when I get home and I won't go hard into it, cause we went hard into it last time, but it was like, then it was like, it was uh Saint and I, and we were, and then Jack and I, and we were talking yeah, about how yeah. we wanted to build everything. We wanted to build these right. guys up, give back to the young guys that we believed in, blah, 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 blah. Um, so there was an effort made. Cause we wrestled all over, you know, like we wrestled in, um like from georgia down to florida up to tennessee we wrestled a bunch of times and then in the four years i was there but like uh and we traveled a lot but it was one of those things of like you can't promise a booking to a promoter when you actually you know you can't even promise it to yourself because you never know what the hell's going to happen right Corey. and so another thing that goes with with that you know so you're talking about how you got back into it once you got out of the military, you know, now, you know, you've been, you know, you've been wrestling steadily for a while now, now that you start to now we're starting to see more of these shows starting to come back with all this COVID stuff, whether it be uh TKW or, you know, XI's done a few, you know, the house party shows and things like that. I mean, what are your thoughts on what we've seen so far, man? It's been it's been interesting because, you know, you and I talked a little bit briefly before we went on the air. You know, I mean, I just found out yesterday that Jake, who you just mentioned in past guest of our show, is going to be on with another past guest of our show, uh, Sam Adonis on uh, the International Indo- or the Independent Wrestling Expo uh, that's going on in Texas, like. What do you think so far of what we've seen of these attempts to try to redo shows? I like it. And we kind of went on this as a, on the last show too. It's like, like you see like GCW, they're doing it right. Like yeah, I think right. they're doing it right because like the setting matters. And 
that's I think what what we lose here, what we're losing here in Michigan. Other than like I think Chainsaw's doing it really really well. Um, the setting of your your show matters, and GCW has that right. Like they're they're doing it on the pier, they're doing it next to the ocean, they're doing it next to a boardwalk. You know, they had their backyard themed show where they did it in the backyard. But for the most part, a lot of their shows that are like they're in like huge parks. They look like, you know, they have a nice setup and also the camera angles and stuff are really good to make sure that you're not like seeing a lot of empty, weird space and stuff like that. Um, and like I said, like, I love XI. Um, I love Horror Slam. I love Chainsaw. I've, I've never been to uh, uh, the Total Chaos place, but I'm sure I'll be there someday. Um, but I, you know, like the show has to go on. Right. So like, like when my mom passed away, when I was like 17 years old, not like when I was 17, when I was 17, I expected like the world to stop and like, like wait on me and my brothers to like recover from that. And I remember like our principal of our, our high school and she'd be like, Hey, like it is sad, but you guys got to keep moving. You got to keep, you know, like you're going to face adversity in your life. And obviously this is something that no child should ever have to like deal with, but like you have to move on. You have to keep it moving. And this is the same thing. Like if we want to sit and cry about not being able to wrestle in a building, then wrestling would just die. And then it, it, like for how, ex- like how hot everything was prior to COVID coming in, like why would you ever risk losing that by just being like, you know what? I can't run a show. Well then fuck it. I'm just not going to do one. When you have so many right. people who don't give a damn where your show is, they don't give a damn about the lighting. They don't give a damn about your entrance. You know, like they, they, 95% of the people who come to your shows, especially in rural areas, they don't care about your setup. They care about the people in the ring. And that's absolutely it. So it's like you can't cry over spilled milk, COVID spilled milk all over this bitch, but we have to keep it moving. So it's like, I can appreciate, <laughs> I can appreciate. I love it, dude. You know, what everyone's doing to try to stay on track and, and, and try to keep like the ball rolling. I mean, that's the craziest thing about it. Like, I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, you don't know what you're going to do, you know, but you bring up another thing that we were just starting to scratch the surface on and something that we've tried to do our best here at Knockouts and Three Counts to provide you guys with. And that's what I think all wrestlers or fighters, for that matter, are having to do right now. And that's coming up with content, man. Coming up with content to keep yourself out there, to keep yourself in people's faces, even though you can't have shows every, you know, every weekend. Um, I know you mentioned it briefly on the last show, but we didn't really get to go into it. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you mentioned the DTA uh, Patreon and things like that. But, you know, I know you guys are going to be doing a little web series with that stuff. And, you know, I know that this whole thing started as your road to reenlistment thing originally. So tell us a little bit about that and what you guys got cooking with the new content coming from the DTA boys. So, like, okay, so the road to reenlistment thing, there will be more episodes of Benjamin. It's hard. Like, that's hard, hard, hard to do. Like, and and it's good for me to do. Like, it's good for me to talk about it, but it's hard to talk about. And, like... The first, like, there were so many times where, like, the camera, like, when, when cause I recorded it all by myself, it's not like I have like, a crew there recording me. I probably couldn't even do it if someone else was standing there. But, like, to be able to talk about and making yourself vulnerable to be able to talk about something like my son's going through, that's hard. And it's like, it's so taxing to, like, stand against and fight against. And then, like, I wanted to build this thing, like, for me, but also for him. So then, like, later in life, he can look at it and be like, man, like, even if he doesn't remember anything that's going on right now, um, he can look at it and be like, man, my dad was standing strong for me and fighting for me. 
uh, through everything I had to go through. Like I want that for him and I want that for me because I want to be able to look back and be like, man, like that was the worst situation. That was the worst time I've ever had in my life. Um, but we stuck it out and we stayed strong and everything worked out. Like, so like doing that, it was a lot of fun to do. Cause I was going to truth martini school all the time. Like every, every day I'd leave the, I'd leave the hospital because I was staying at the hospital this time. And, um, and at this time too, my daughter was with my brother and they were up North at the, at their cabin. So like, I didn't have a lot to do. Like I didn't have a lot to worry about rather. I had a lot to do, but like, I didn't have a lot to worry about because she was taken care of. She was having a good time. She was having fun. And so I didn't have to worry about, you know, like she's 11. So she needs, you know, she already needs a lot of attention from her parents, but she needs attention even more now because her, like her brother, her best friend is now, you know, like missing an action and she has no idea what's actually going on. Um, so it was really fun to be able to go down there and wrestle every day and, and kind of like, and get a lot of like the, the demons out while being at truth martinis and then be able to come home and kind of talk about it and say like, Hey, like this is what's going on. This is what he's going through and, and shed a couple of tears for it. Like I, I know it's good for me, but it's, it's like I said, it's fucking hard to do. And, uh, but now she's home now she's home. And like, like I, I, as any parent would, I would hope any parent would, like you're obligated to make sure that, you know, like why obviously you gotta, you gotta make sure he's okay medically and emotionally, but it's hard to check out him emotionally. So you just gotta be there, hang out with them, have a good time with them when you're with them. But that's goes the same for my daughters. You gotta like, make sure that she's not, you know, like I, the light, you know, like she's not becoming emotionally scarred. She's not feeling neglected. She's not like, so it's like, I go way, 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 way out of my way to make sure that like, she doesn't feel like she's just kicked to the curb. And, um, so then now that she's, she's back home, it's a lot harder to be like, Hey guys, I'm going on the truth. Uh, can, you know, Hey, can you go to your friend's house? Can you go here? You know, she can't go to the hospital. So like, it's like, uh, it becomes harder and harder to get down there and do that kind of stuff. And, uh, so then that kind of led to like, man, like, what are we going to do for like the DTA fans that love us? And like, what are we going to do for them to keep giving them like, like you got Vendetta still wrestling, Wick still wrestling, Jack still wrestling. Well, like, we're not wrestling nearly as frequently as we were before. Oh, um, I'm having a heart attack. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> what can we do to give these people more and like give our fans more? And that's where like Saint had came up with like doing a Patreon. And I was like, man, like who's going to pay for a Patreon? And then like the more and more I thought about it, I was like, well, what we'll do is we'll come out with like our own stuff and that will be free and we'll have free content. And we'll just like, Hey man, if you want extra, come to the Patreon. And then, so that's where we came up with like all these shows, like whiskey watching wrestling, which is just like me and the boys sitting down watching either our wrestling matches or, or just matches that we enjoy. And then drinking whiskey or drinking white claws and just kind of getting a little tipsy while watching these matches. And like the first couple of times we did it, and it's the same as like, if you watch a match with your friends, like, you start talking shit about stuff that you shouldn't be saying. You're making jokes to try to make everyone laugh. So, like, when I'm editing all the videos, it's just like, man, we got to edit this. Oh, this motherfucker is so stupid. We got to edit this out. We got to cut this out. There's so many beeps and funny responses and stupid things that people say that makes it so much fun to do. And then, we, and then like, the toilet bowl wrestling and the pro wrestling dad is still, like, a thing where there's, like, going to be skits and stuff along with us watching bad wrestling. So, similar to, like, Colt Cabana did, like, the $5 wrestling, we have the the boys sit down and watch a bad, you know, a really, really bad wrestling match or a bad wrestling montage or 
uh, like a Botchamania esque, except for I hate Botchamania, so we would never watch that. But like, um, <laughs> but like, uh, so that's like that's the Total Bull Wrestling stuff, and then and then obviously the Total Bull Wrestling skits that will that I did when I was in the military and stuff like those will still be around because that's what kind of made Total Bull Wrestling famous for me, not necessarily famous like you know nationwide, but like. I became known as like the pro wrestling dad and everyone always wanted to see more pro wrestling dad skits and, and, and little like videos. And they wanted to see the, the, the total wrestling. So then my daughter and I are starting a pro wrestling dad podcast where then we'll, it's just me and her, we're going to BS about random stuff. And then, um, and then we'll go into like our skits and stuff that like our real life stuff. It's, it's all like, it's real life. Like it, it's funny. Cause like the nurses found out, I don't know if like my wife told them or what, but like they found the pro wrestling dad stuff online. And when I'm at the hospital, I'm not chit chatting with these people. Like I'm hanging out and like, man, it's me and Wyatt and we're doing our thing. And all of a sudden like, I have one of the nurses come in and she was like, you are so funny. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, what are you talking about? Like, and she was like, well, I watched your pro wrestling dad videos and you guys are so cute and I can't believe this and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, man, like that stuff works. Like I know it works. It's like, it's like, it's like one of those time tested things of like, I've done those for years. And everyone has always loved them. But then I just like talk myself out of making them because I'm an idiot. And then, um, and then, like I said, there's other ton- there's tons of other random stuff that pops up on the podcast that will, or on the Patreon. That's just like behind the scenes stuff, extras, us sitting down doing like the Q and A's, all the kind of nonsense. And we haven't really promoted that hard. We talked about it on your guys' show. And then we, uh, we made like one post about it uh, because I wanted to have a lot of content on there before we started like pushing it really, really hard. So now we're like, we're, we're basically two weeks in. And then we'll be making a, like a big commercial push. Like, Hey guys, go to our Patreon, check out all this really cool stuff we have. So that's a great segue into the other thing that we wanted to talk about from the first uh, episode. You know, we started to get into the story of Wyatt strong. We started to talk about how it all came about and what that was like for you guys, you know, in the journey to the hospital and, you know, going through the day of, the uh the surgery and things um i guess my question now is you know you're talking about adjusting to life after the whole the you know after the surgery you know how are things for you guys now how is wyatt doing and you know what you know like what's the what's the daily road like right now as opposed to where you guys were you know maybe before surgery well before surgery everything was great because like i didn't have like a regular life job I was just wrestling. So it was me and the kids full time every single day, taking them to school, picking them up, hanging out, going on bike rides, going to the beach, doing all, excuse me, um, drinking the White Claws too fast now. Uh, but like, dude, just doing normal stuff, like fun stuff that like, that I wish I would have had a dad around for. And I think that's my biggest driving issue or like, problem like for my kids is like, man, I want to be the dad that I never had. So like, I want to be there and do the fun stuff. I want to go on spontaneous trips and go up to, you know, the UP or do this or go here and, and have fun on a moment's notice. And like, that's how we lived our lives. Like, like from the moment that they were out of school, it was like, Hey, you got your homework done. Okay, cool. Now it's time to go have some fun. Now it's time to go do this. Now let's go do this. And, um, and then not knowing, because like I said, like before is like, there was never like a real, a real big issue with him when it came to like, having like i so said like he maybe have two headaches a month like and we were just like yeah kids have headaches i don't and like i don't know like it just seems normal like we've already kind of been through it with bailey yeah, yeah, right and um uh, 
So it was never like a thing where we were like, man, this is odd or this is too much or this is until like the very, very last minute where we go get an MRI and they're like, hey, get to the hospital now. So then it became myself and my wife just sat at the hospital with them for basically like 40 days. And uh, eventually like when he, when he came off of the ventilator, they kicked one of us out because he could because of the COVID nonsense, you can only have one parent there at a time. So then I was forced to come home, which was like, a, like it's for the best, but, um, and you then fast in. forward to like now it's like, uh, it's, he does radiation early in the morning and the more and more he kind of comes out of this, uh, it's called post fossa syndrome, which is like, it's essentially like, like his mind, his brain, like he's like stuck in his brain. So like, like he knows what's going on. He can see what's going on. He can feel what's going on, but he can't like, but his brain isn't connected to his voice. It's not connected to his body. It's like his brain works for thinking, but that's absolutely it. And like so like his movements are very sporadic his like in like uh and the more and more he becomes the more like the further and further he comes out of this the more and more you can see that like he's still the same kid and he's just like stuck in this weird like not a coma but like he's almost yeah exactly yeah like so like the other day um I was up there. I bet I was up there for a couple days in a row and um, everything's going good. And like, I remember my wife was like, Oh, well, like, cause uh, it was supposed to be like the first day that Bailey was going to see him in three months. And I was like, I was very adamant about making this, making this happen. You know, like I was like, she needs to see him. He needs to see her. So like, that's important. And the first day we were supposed to go is like a Tuesday. And she's like, well, he's having a really bad day today. He wasn't able to do radiation because he was freaking out and he's been crying a lot all day. And then I go up there alone on Tuesday, mad because I wanted Bailey to see him. And then me and him are hanging out all day and everything is great. Like, like great. He's not talking. He's not running around, jumping around, but like, like as his father, I know that he is doing, Oh, I can see, I can feel it. Like our interactions are better. And I'm just like, man, like he's not, because she like she, my wife is like a, a the the most worried person of all time and like obviously rightfully so in this situation but also he could have had a sliver and she her reaction would have been exactly the same as him having a tumor um so like i'm with him and she's gone and like i'm like man like you're not having a bad day dude you just want to get up and do stuff like because like you know we're eating candy we're doing like you know we're, we're up walking like i'm making like i'm helping him walk we're in the wheelchair we're running around you know like the hospital getting yelled at by the security and stuff because we're flying around the corners and stuff we're outside we're inside we're upstairs downstairs going up the elevator coming down the elevator just doing all this fun stuff that most likely you're not supposed to do um but i'm a child as well so it's like and also what are you going to say to me my son has cancer so shut up like i'm gonna do what i want and then um so we're having a good time and like he never cried. He never like there was no complaints from him. There's no nothing. I was like, man, like he's not having a bad time. Like he's he's having a bad time because he can't move. He can't talk. He can't communicate. It's more like it's more of a frustration than it is like a like a, he's in pain. He's having a seizure. He's doing this. He's just mad. He's mad because he knows his life is supposed to be different. He knows he's supposed to be able to get up and walk. He knows he's supposed to talk. He knows he's not supposed to be, you know, like peeing in a diaper. He knows these things. And like so when I'm with him, I was like, man, he's not there's no, he's not having an, his issue is mentally. It's not like he's in pain or his stomach hurts or his head hurts or anything like that. 
And I bring it up to the doctors. and They're like, oh, yeah, you know, that does kind of make sense. And then uh, Thursday, I get the same thing from my wife. Like, oh, he's having a bad day today. I don't want to risk having Bailey see him. And he's not responsive to him, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no. Bailey's coming. Have bring Wyatt outside because she's not allowed in the hospital. I was like, um, we're coming. So be ready. And I'm already, like, I'm mad. I'm mad, mad at this time. Because like I said, like, I, like, I have a very, very deep connection to my siblings. Um, not my little brother, but like my older brother, we're only like nine months apart or a couple months, you know, like we're like a year apart ish. And like, so like for him and I, we're super close. And now that we're adults, me and my little brother are close, but like my, my, my best friends were like my brothers when I was growing up. So it's like, I know the same as anybody knows who has like a really close friend or best friends or really close siblings. Like that stuff matters. Like seeing them matters. It makes you feel better. It makes you, you know, it makes you think clearer and like, so I was like, these guys spent every single day around each other. They need to see each other. And eventually, you know, like after a couple of minutes of me being blood curdling mad, um, we meet Wyatt outside and then he's so pumped and he's like, like he's not, like I said, he's not jumping around for joy or anything, but you can see it in his face. You can see it like in his eyes. You can see it. Like he's like, he's trying to smile. He wants to get up and like, he wants to move around with her. Um, and then we go do like we do his PT stuff, we do his OT stuff, and everything's going great. And I was like, man, he's not like it goes back to the same thing I thought on Tuesday. Like I was like, he's not having a bad day. He's not having this. He's not having that. He's just ready to be done with all this bullshit. Like th- this tumor and cancer, like has stole what seems like his whole entire life to him. He's sick, so he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know any different. He like you know he, for all he knows, this could be the rest of his life. And he wants to go back to being normal. He wants to go back to, you know, playing, going on the bike rides and playing on the trampoline and doing all this stuff. So then like to get him back to just doing the normal stuff that like as a parent, you know, he likes you, you'll never hear a complaint out of him. He doesn't cry. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't whine. He doesn't nothing. He's just like, he'll just do his thing and be happy. Um, and that's kind of what we've like figured out the past couple of days of like, um, he's six. Don't forget that he's six. Don't forget that he's a child. No matter what he's going through, he's still a kid and he still wants to have fun. And he still doesn't, he doesn't understand what's going on, but he does know what's going on in his surroundings. And, and that goes to what we were talking about last time with working with kids with disabilities, you hit the nail on the head. He knows what's going on. He's just kind of having to work the cobwebs out almost to a degree, you know? And so, you know, it's cool to kind of hear where you guys are at now. You know, I've been following the story ever since, you know, you guys had first brought it out, you know, what was going on. And like I said, man, you guys are in my prayers with that. And uh, the link to the GoFundMe and all that will be in the description of the video. If you guys are checking this out on YouTube and all that good stuff. So let's uh, change the mood a little bit. So we talked a little bit about MMA last time, but if any of you guys watch MMA that are watching this, you know that there's a, pretty big fight that's going to happen this weekend then since you're a wrestler i figured who better to ask about the heavyweight title fight than a wrestler so what are your thoughts on the whole uh dc stipe fight will you be watching it first of all and if so what are your thoughts i i'll definitely be watching it stipe is one of my favorite fighters um and i love dc too so this is one of the situations it's like like when uh conor mcgregor fought donald cerrone donald cerrone is my favorite fighter bar none like no questions asked so like when that fight was happening, I was like, I was like, dude, no matter what, win, lose, or draw, it sucks that it happened the way it happened. I wish that, like, even if Connor would have beat him in three rounds or five rounds or whatever, I would have been like, hell yeah. Because then, I, I like, it's weird. 
because it doesn't make any sense to think this way for someone I don't even know. But I was like, at least I know that, that like, no matter how, what happens out of this match, Donald Cerrone's making some money from it. That's like all I could think of was like, thank God he's finally getting a shot at like a couple million dollars. Right. Like, and like, this isn't as bad. Cause I already know like these guys are in the spotlight. There are, they're, they're, they swap the championship back and forth. So it's like, I already know they're making money, but Steve is just like, he's just one of my favorite fighters in general. And then I got, and I love DC as a personality and as a fighter. Um, and I was like, man, all I want is like a good match because the last two fights, they've been like spontaneous knockouts, kind of like out of nowhere, especially the first one, not as much as when uh, Stipe won it back, but like the first match ended in like 40 seconds or something. I mean, it, it was probably a little longer than that, but it was very, very quick. And I was just like, oh, son of a bitch. Like you can't like Stipe, <laughs> even if Stipe loses this one, you can't go down like that. You can lose, but you have yeah. to like, you know, it like, can't you can't be a knockout. Beat, yeah, you can't even if you get knocked out, get knocked out in the third, fourth, fifth round. Yeah, yeah make okay, cool. yeah. So what so what are your thoughts then on what DC's saying about this is gonna be his last fight, win, lose, or draw? I think it's both their last fights. I can um, see that. Like from the things that I've like I'm not deep into like MMA news, but the, the couple things that I've heard and the couple things that I've read, this is their last fight. Like it's most like and, and obviously everyone can be bought back to have another fight but like Stipe is already the most winningest heavyweight of all time and all he needs is a big iconic knockout again of someone like DC to be able to like be like I you know like I did this no one can take that shit away I've had I think he has the most knockouts in, in heavyweight history um he's fought the best fighters in UFC history um as a champion not necessarily as a heavyweight champion he has beaten more names to use like a wrestling term, he's beaten more names than any other heavyweight champion. Like mm-hmm. he is like, he is time tested as like one of the best heavyweights of all time. So for him to ride on the sunset against someone like DC and in a heavyweight title fight. And after this, no matter what he's you know going to retire, it would just, I would like, I would love to see Stipe win because like I said, Stipe is my guy, but also if DC wins, I want to be like, fuck dude, like that's still dope. Like I'm not going to be mad. Um, because like I said, I love DC just the same. Like, I mean, not just the same, cause like I said, like Steve is my second favorite fighter next to Donald Cerrone. But like, um, when Steve came in back in the day, like, you know, like a couple of years ago, I was just like, ah, whatever, dude. And then he starts just roasting these dudes. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> this dude's pretty fucking dope, man. And then, uh, watching him a couple, you know, like through the years, the past couple of years that I've been watching, I don't know, since like 2016 or something, how long has he been? He's been in the UFC for a minute, but he's only been a, a, a big dog for, the past four I would say the last years. four or five years. Yeah. And he comes in and he's just starching dudes out. And I was like, okay, dope. And he's been a champ or in the championship contendings for the past three of those five years, let's say two at yeah. least. So it's like, like, obviously he's an easy dude to like, like as like, like, Oh, that's my favorite fighter because he's like I said, like he's the most winningest heavyweight of all time. He's one of the best heavyweight fighters of all time. Um, but I won't be mad either way. As long as the fight's good, this is the same thing I said for Don Cerrone and, and Conor McGregor. I was like, as long as the fight's good, I it doesn't even matter. It, doesn't, it literally doesn't matter who wins. Like, obviously, it matters to them. If you're betting and you got to bet the house, who's it going to be? I don't like that at all. <laughs> uh, hey, man, look. You've met Devin and the guys on the show that are usually with us, and I don't ever get to get out of picks. So since I get to run the show... That's how I'm gonna, you got to make say, a bit. Let's say it's for sure DC's last fight because he's announced it. 
I haven't heard Stipe actually physically say this is his last fight. I've only just heard that it's his last fight. Um, Unfortunately, I would assume it has to be DC then. Like, even though I want Stipe to win, you think if, he, DC like, if it was if it was me fun. and I was as good as as DC is and I was as talented as DC is and I have one more fight to prove that I I am one of the best of all time, I'm going to die in that goddamn octagon. Uh, so I would say that if you had to pick, I would pick DC. All right, you've got it. There's his pick. And hey, if you guys are watching us, let this let us know in the comments who you got. But I can't tell you who I'm gonna pick because you got to stay tuned for our picks with our homie Miles Jury, who's gonna be doing his thing. He just did his thing last Friday in Bellator. Miles is gonna be coming and making his picks along with us for the Stepe and DC fight. So stay tuned to our YouTube channel and all that so that you don't miss it. Well. I just want to say thanks for the time, brother, man. It's been cool to kind of chat and kick it and uh, get to know you a little bit better. Like I said, I mean, I've seen you around some of the shows, but we never really got to chat like that. I just want to thank you for being open and, uh, you know, talking, talking with us about um, the whole story with what's going on with your family. And like I said, man, if there's anything I can do on my end uh, to help out with that, let me know. And like I said, dude, when we see each other around these shows, dude, we'll definitely have to get a beer once all this COVID bullshit's out the way. Hell yeah. Corey, you got anything else? You pretty much hit the nail on the head, man. It was nice having you on the show. It was nice to be able to kind of get a couple more questions across, you know, regarding the whole Wyatt situation. And I, I wish the best for you guys. I know I had my daughter go through a little bit of a health scare when she was younger, and that shit's not fun, man. Oh, yeah. young kid never want to go through that and especially i I dealt with the same thing the older older sibling trying to make sure that you know she felt as though she was still getting the attention even though the younger one was clearly the one needing more attention so it's it's nice to hear that you know we all go through the same struggles it's just you know on what level of course oh yeah well, like I said, man, knockouts and three counts, obviously, we're here to talk wrestling and MMA, but I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Like I said, man, we're not going to just give you all that bullshit question, and we're getting to the nut cutting on these interviews. But like I said, until next time, make sure you are watching. Hey, the UFC Contender Series was tonight. Make sure you're checking us out next week as we bring you LFA 125-pound champion Jimmy Flick before his fight for the uh, Dana White Contender Series next week. Hey, and shout out to TJ Larmy, who's going to war tonight on Dana White's Contender Series. And hey, a little birdie told me you might have to be looking for a boss coming up on the Contender Series or maybe in the UFC somewhere soon. Hey, I don't know. But stay tuned to our channel and you'll see it. And until next time and in the in-between time, stay safe. Peace. Peace.